Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Today on 30 Minutes, excerpts from the 2014 Tucson Festival of Books. Nuestras Raices, a program of the Pima County Library, sponsored the panel entitled Borderland Productions, Queer Migrations and Counter-Movements. Today, we continue with the second half of the panel and the second portion of Adela Silicona's presentation. She is an associate professor and director of the Rhetoric, Composition, and the Teaching of English program at the University of Arizona. Later in the program, we'll hear from Karma Chavez, associate professor of Rhetoric, Politics, and Culture at the University of Arizona in Madison, Wisconsin. This is part two of a two-part series. The panel explores how ongoing border policing shapes the experiences, struggles, and counter-movements of migrants, people of color, and queer activists. Welcome, and thank you for joining us. The presentations you see here are brought to you by the Nuestras Raices of Pima County Public Library. Our first presentation is Borderlands Productions, Queer Migrations, and Counter-Movements. This panel will explore how ongoing border policing shapes the experiences, struggles, and counter-movements of migrants, people of color, and queer activists. Each presentation will address how border policing produces norms that criminalize and exclude, and how these norms are challenged and resisted through coalition and cooperation. And now I'd like to introduce you to the moderator for this presentation, assistant professor in the English department of the University of Arizona, Maritza Cardenas. Thank you, Elizabeth. Welcome everyone to the sixth annual Tucson Festival of Books. My name is Maritza Cardenas. We would like to thank Pima County Public Library for sponsoring this venue. Woohoo! <laughs> um, and now, without further ado, I would like to um, introduce our distinguished panel. Next, we have Adela Licona, who is an associate professor in rhetoric, composition, and the teaching of English here at the University of Arizona. Her interdisciplinary research and teaching interests include borderlands rhetorics, cultural critical race, critical youth, sexuality and gender studies, social justice media, community literacies, action research, and public scholarship. Adela is also the co-founder of Feminist Action Research and Rhetoric, FAR, a group of progressive feminist scholars engaged in public scholarship and community dialogue. In addition, she is co-editor of the book, Feminist Pedagogy, Looking Back to Move Forward, and the author of Zines in Third Space, Radical Cooperation and Borderlands Rhetoric, which was released in 2012. Um, third spaces, then, as I, um, as I consider it in my book, can be understood, and this gets a little, a little bit messy like my thinking, can be understood as both a location and a practice. As a location, I, I argue that third space is a relational space of contestation that can also be one of shared meaning, um, shared meaning making and understanding or conocimiento. As a practice, it reveals the potential for coalition, and that's something I explore throughout the book. By third space, I mean then the space that can be generated by the refusals of division. You might think of it as a space in between 
between, um, or the space between, rather, and uh, the practices and ideas and imaginations that emerge there. Third space, then, is real and, in, and in, it is imagined. According to Glorian Saldua, imagination, a function of the soul, has the capacity to extend us beyond the confines of our skin, our situation, and condition. It enables us to reimagine our lives, rewrite ourselves, and create guiding myths for our times. And just like when my daughters ran in and claimed that they were authors, I love that the zines that I, that I read, um, really, they claimed the, the guiding myths for their times. And they they wanted to re-narrate uh, the ways in which they'd been criminalized or misrepresented, pathologized, uh, medicalized, uh, a lot of resistance to that and, and uh, very exciting uh, strategies to combat that and rewrite those narratives. Rather than being either-or rhetorics, Borderlands rhetorics, as I propose them, are both-and rhetorics that are produced and reproduced then in third space contexts. Um, in studying zines, I became aware of them as deeply theoretical and cultural, countercultural productions. And I agree with Stephen Duncombe, who identifies in them the seeds of a different possibility, he says, a novel form of communication and, um, and creation that bursts with an angry idealism and a fierce devotion to democratic expression. This expression reveals the potential to be both disruptive and also coalitional. Um, their, their critical angry idealism can be witnessed through efforts at community movement community and movement building, knowledge generation, and information sharing, change. These zines explicitly value and propagate community, uh, uh, grassroots community literacies meant to affect change through the valuing of everyday knowledges and accesses to them. One zinester, in an attempt to challenge the taboo um, she identified of talking about mental illness, particularly in com communities of color, wrote about her experiences being mentally ill and the ways she'd learned to deal with it over, over the years. And she had all kinds of um, advice that she gave to, to, uh, to people who, who needed it or would be interested in it that resonated in that it was, it was about uh, everyday strategies dealing with it. It was about healing through uh, herbal therapy. And in that moment, she called on abuelita wisdom. Um, so again, really appealing to knowledges across generations, something that, that is often you know, very, very prevalent in the zines that I studied. So zines then are sites where traditional knowledges circulate and sometimes collide with newer knowledge um, to produce innovation and uh, informed practice. I, I mentioned abuelita's uh, um, wisdom in them. Also, the zines I studied were all action-oriented. In them, readers witnessed, acted upon knowledge informed by critical and coalitional consciousness, as well as the pursuit of a radical democratics, which I came to understand through zinesters' engagement was directly related to the right to access and or to produce knowledge. And that, I think, is incredibly relevant, um, particularly here in Arizona right now. Um, vibrant and vital uh, zines reveal a desire ultimately to connect, communicate, inform, and act. They also re uh, revealed overlooked concerns and underrepresented voices. In their rants and raves against injustice and social inequalities, zinesters spoke of and offer narratives about issues related to childcare, colonialism, mental health, body image, poverty, rape, safety, pleasure, spirituality, political economy, the prison industrial complex, immigration, justice, desire, color, sexuality, gender, and the confines and artificiality of a dominant uh, dichotomous social order. They can be savvy, angry, complicated, and raw. 
Through an engagement with deployed borderlands rhetorical practices and performances, myriad micro-practices of resistance to enact social transformation were revealed for me. Scenes can teach us then about non-dominant sites, practices, politics, activism, and economies of writing. As I illustrate, zines also have much to teach us about the representation of self and our communities um, as contradictory, complicated, ambiguous, and always on the move. They have much to reveal about practices and performances of what a lot of Chicana scholars call live theory. So informed by Chicana, feminist, and queer theorists, as well as feminist and radical geographers, and zinesters themselves, queer and queer people of color zines emerge for me then as third space sites of borderlands rhetorics, revealing the potential for social transformation through disruptive discursive acts, dissident performances, and trans migrations that can affect new social, cultural, political, economic, and sexual configurations. Some of the titles of the zines that I engage in my book, just you know, to share the fun with you, um, Evolution of a Race Riot, How to Stage a Coup, Mamacita, Bamboo Girl, Memoirs of a Queer Hapa, I Dreamt I Was Assertive, Apoyo, Bi Girl World, Ruby Fruit Manifesto, Housewife Turned Assassin, you gotta love that title, and Pirate Jenny. So now I'll just share some explicit examples from some of the zines that I studied, and uh, then I'll wrap it up. In, in Bi Girl World, I encountered Baby K, who self-identifies as bisexual. Baby K's narrated experiences of inauthentication across the heterosexual and homosexual divide are expressed as always feeling both not straight enough and not queer enough. Neither this nor that, but rather this and that. In making meaning around that imposed division um, there that was experienced as inauthenticating, Baby K moves toward, for, for me, a coalitional possibility. Pirate Jenny asks readers to rethink divisions imposed by notions of authenticity as the fictions they can be by introducing not a girl, not a boy, but a neologic burl. And here's an example of the creative play with language and visual representation that zinesters engage in as a meaning-making strategy. In Borderlands, Tales from Disputed Territories, Nia King refuses uh, either side of the racialized divide and, and self-identifies as mixed race, and in so doing, creates a, a pretty interesting dialogue across other zines. In Evolution of a Race Riot, compiled by Mimi Wen, and in How to Stage a Coup by Helen Liu, entries call out white privilege, colonialism, classism, sexism, heterosexism, racism, and colorblind racism in punk culture. One contributing zinester concludes with a call for people of color to form collectives in order to see how we can make a difference in the punk scene, if not the world. Evidence then of coalitional potential that I've, that I've talked about here today uh, is revealed in her explicit desire to participate in socially just world-making practices. Considering of color zines and their compiled bi bibliographies explicitly as networking tools um, and, and coalitional tools, writing in these zines turn towards conscious coalitions of post-punk feminists and queers of color who want to pursue the values they identified with punk, but to apply them in new directions. So throughout, zinesters critically consider how the space of punk in the U.S., a space that was supposed to challenge establishments, authority, um, domination and nation-building imperatives could reproduce some of the very same exclusions it sought to dismantle. Together, these scenesters made demands for a more expansive movement that's attentive to and actively informed by queer people of color. 
Um, in, ad in addition to advocating for the need and the right to know non-dominant histories and heritages and acknowledging the racist implications of the inaccessibility of such histories, particularly in educational contexts, there's often a call in zines to educate uh, about multiple histories, about the rights um, of the marginalized, about lived experience, about the underprivileged, the exploited, and those who are otherwise erased or disenfranchised from historical records. In issue nine of Bamboo Girl, um, the zinester, uh, that zinester writes about uh, know your rights as, as an immigrant. And it was written especially for undocumented people living in the US and their allies. Um, the entry was based on lived experience and was, was an indication and something I found throughout zines that lived experience and personal stories were valuable. They held uh, meaning and they held the potential to teach one another. And I, I want to circle back to where I introduced uh, my parents into this talk and that idea. So you can see how zines resonated with me so fiercely. Um, one more zine. It's Bamboo Girl again. And, and this one was identified as a post 9-11 zine. And one of the entries addresses the misrepresentations um, imposed through scapegoating and stereotyping. So very much the things that Ethna was talking about. It identifies, though, dangerous expressions of patriotism that are feeding into what it called a culture of fear and allowing for the profiling of brown people, referred to through, throughout this zine as brothers and sisters. Brown, then, is a third space term rhetorically deployed there to build coalition and forge uh, community. And I, I should say that there were, there were zines who responded to that with some resistance, that Brown was too much of an erasure of, of black and white. Um, so a lot of interesting dialogue, evidence of, of again, communities in, in conflict, but that generative kind of conflict that you know, creates new knowledges. The zines I studied, uh, like my parents and mi familia, expressed and valued everyday lived cross-generational knowledges, sometimes together with academic knowledges, but not always. They value experience, promote home knowledges and community literacies, and they're interested in histories, in challenging histories, and in seeing themselves and writing themselves into the historical record. In their pursuits of coalition, they imagine wild possibilities. They disrupt purchasing imperatives and consider labor practices, are innovating new rhetorical strategies to address imposed divisions, subordinations, and erasures. They're concerned with the earth and consider the effects of consumer culture on the environment, on culture and place, on bodies and on one another. By challenging and reimagining exclusionary and oppressive structures and practices, I argue that zines are performing the very difference they seek to make. Thank you. You are listening to excerpts from the 2014 Tucson Festival of Books on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Nuestras Raices, a program of the Pima County Library, sponsored the panel entitled Borderlands Productions, Queer Migrations, and Counter Movements. Finally, we have Karma Chavez. Karma Chavez is an assistant professor in rhetoric, politics, and culture at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Her research explores the relationships among race, class, gender, sexuality, nation, and immigration, utilizing queer of color theory, women of color feminism, and rhetorical criticism. Her work is also invested in social movement building, activist rhetoric, coalitional politics, and the rhetorical practices and discursive constitutions of marginalized groups. She has co-edited the book titled... Standing in the Intersection, Feminist Voices, Feminist Practices in Communication Studies, as well as authored the book, Queer Migration, Poli Queer Migration Politics, Activist Rhetoric and Coalitional Possibilities, which was released in 2013. It's a beautiful day, especially for me, because I live in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, so 
there's a good reason I come to the Tucson Book Festival. Um, but I'm very, very excited to be here. Um, and my book, uh, I wanted to make sure you also have the cover art, Fabiano Rodriguez. It's uh, uh, called The American Dream is a Lie. Um, and I think it's fantastic, and I'm really happy that my press let me use it because I would have thrown a fit if they didn't. Um, but I really, I, I'm really, really happy to be here, and I want to thank uh, Elizabeth, and I want to thank the Nuestras Raices Committee, uh, Maritza, and of course my uh, co-presenters who are uh, troublemakers with me, and I um, am happy to share stage with them. And uh, it's, it's good also to be back in Tucson because uh, in many ways the, my book started in Tucson. Um, I lived in Phoenix, though, for about five years. I did my PhD at Arizona State. And then um, my dissertation I, I did here. And part of what drew me here was uh, the sort of urgency of living in Arizona during the early to mid-2000s. Uh, and um, always having been very involved in queer and LGBT politics, um, but even though, uh, you know, I'm a Chicana, and, uh, you know, I thought maybe some about my family's immigration, but I grew up in Nebraska, and so I'd, I'd not thought a lot about uh, immigration other than to be always worried every summer when the migrants would come, um, because then all of a sudden all of the, all of the Latinos and Chicanos were on display, um, because there was this connection. Um, and so it was a very, um, a very sort of, uh, I, I always had this kind of very negative feeling about myself and about um, these people. So, and that was the extent of my thinking until I got to Arizona. Um, and then I, I, I felt like you couldn't, of course, not think about immigration and think about the border. Uh, and so my own thinking as an academic really uh, was figuring out what were these relationships between and among uh, queer politics and immigration politics. And um, so I, uh, it, it drew me to Tucson. Uh, so the, the, the thing that started the book was um, my research with uh, Derechos Humanos and also with Wingspan uh, in the mid-2000s and the kind of coalition work that they were doing together. Uh, which um, was was very influential to me, and um, it was the basis of my dissertation, and it's also a chapter of the book. So the last chapter of this book uh, is about um, Derechos Humanos and Wingspan, so you might recognize some folks uh, in, in the book there. Um, my book, it, it emerged eventually sort of intellectually from a couple of key concerns. So the one was really about um, theorizing the political possibility of coalitions. So uh, really, again, from Wingspan and Derechos Humanos, uh, I, I became interested in thinking more deeply about coalition and what, what is coalition, uh, what are the possibilities there, and, and how is it that it's so hard, and what is a coalition, and um, these kinds of questions. And so um, working with those two groups really helped me to start to think about some of those questions. The other big um, concern for me that, that brings brings this book out was really about uh, this kind of divide that I initially identified within the LGBT uh, sort of arena, but then I also started to understand it within the immigration arena and then also in the LGBT immigration arena, which is um, the, the, the kind of inclusionary um, normative impulse of mainstream LGBT politics and mainstream immigration politics. So um, this idea that, uh, you know, we're just like you, uh, it, but we just have this one little difference, and either we're gay or lesbian or, or bi or trans, or we don't have our citizenship, but, you know, we're just like you. Please, just let us belong. Um, and this impulse toward uh, that kind of normativity. 
Related to that, though, my own academic training is in queer theory primarily, and the kind of queer response to that within the LGBT movement has always been to just kind of, on the one hand, minimize what LGBT activism does, but then on the other hand, the alternative that's offered by queer theorists has often turned towards utopia, um, so, and, and, and theorized through um, sort of obscure uh, arts and literature and things that seemed very disconnected to most people's lives. And so I wanted to see um, how, how to kind of think differently that didn't give us these two options of just kind of a mainstream politics or this thing that's very academic and, and not connected to people's lives. Um, and so that's really where I came up with thinking about um, queer migration politics because I felt like since 2006 in the U.S., there's all this space where queer activism and, and migration activism have come together in these really fascinating ways um, in different places all over the country. Uh, and so uh, that's really what I took as my, uh, my, my subject of study is looking at um, activism at the intersections and in the, in the interactions among queer politics and immigration politics, queer immigration politics, um, and specifically focusing on those that are in some way challenging the kind of normative, um, inclusionary, we're just like you, we just want to belong politics, and trying to point to something a little more radical. And so with that kind of as my subject of study, how I, how I engaged in this was looking at what I call coalitional moments, and the reason I call them that is because I think coalition is very hard to identify, like actual coalition building. Um, so I was interested in these moments of coming together, and sometimes they might be, you know, for months or years. Um, but a moment is also, it's, it's a temporal thing, but it's also kind of this juncture um, where people are coming together to try to imagine something other. Uh, and so that's kind of the analytic, if you want to call it, that I was looking at is these instances of people coming together. Um, and so one I'll just briefly talk about from the book uh, is the, the third chapter of the book, which focuses on uh, the undocumented youth movement. And so uh, one of the things that has happened over the last three or four years, um, and you all know this very well here in Tucson, um, is uh, that, that the undocumented youth movement was really re-energized uh, when o Barack Obama was elected president because Obama said he supported the DREAM Act. Uh, of course, the DREAM Act, most of you probably already know, but it's a piece of legislation that would provide a pathway to citizenship for select undocumented youth, uh, provided they meet a host of, of criteria. And so in Obama's support of this, this really re-energized a lot of youth. And... In 2010, one of the things that happened within this movement is uh, youth decided to take up the strategy of coming out. And in taking up the strategy of coming out, it was a very, uh, for, for many people, it was very strategic and very much connected to LGBT or queer politics. And not just because, but in large part, I think, because many of the leaders of the undocumented youth movement um, also identify as queer or LGBT. Um, and so there was this kind of necessary um, bridge in the minds of many, and there's lots of reasons why this was even a bigger kind of reaching out um, that uh, the immigrant youth movement was doing in relation to the LGBT movement. Um, and so I, I look in this chapter at how coming out gets deployed. Um, and so if you think about the action of coming out, on the one hand, coming out is sort of, I'm coming out to belong to the community. Hey, here I am. Maybe you already knew it, but here I am. But the other way within sort of a queer LGBT framework is kind of this more in-your-face, like, 
um, we're here, you know, we're queer, what are you going to do about it? And so there's this sort of strong radical potential there too. And so I look at the tensions between that kind of like, hey, we want to be part of the community, we're coming out, um, and also this more like, now we're, what are you going to do with us, right? We're here. We're not going to conform. Um, and that plays out in really interesting ways in the undocumented youth movement. So, um, you know, on the one hand, there are some people who are sort of like, I'm coming out, I'm an undocumented American, and there's a lot of value to that, and there's also something very radical about that, too. Um, even if it engages in this kind of normative, like, I just want to belong. There's also um, a number uh, of, of um, different communities, youth communities, that took up this coming out gesture very differently. So, for example, there's this um, uh, project of the American Friends Service Committee called 67 Sueños, 67 Dreams, and their position is, hey, the, the, the dream movement has focused only on the best and brightest, but most of us aren't the best and brightest. Like, we're just kind of average, or maybe some of us even suck. Um, but we want to be, you know, we want to have politics too. And the idea of 67 sueños um, was actually based on the idea that research shows upwards of 67% of dream-eligible youth in terms of age actually wouldn't qualify for the DREAM Act for a variety of other reasons, 67%. And so they're like, what about our dreams too? Um, another example of this comes from a, a guy who's actually um, become a friend of mine through the book um, named Jose, Jose Herrera, he's in Chicago. Um, and he took this kind of structure of the coming out speech, like, you know, my name is Jose and I'm undocumented, and he sort of flips it and he says, uh, my name is Jose and uh, the system considers me illegal. And he completely sort of shifts this and makes a really radical gesture to say, what we need is not to belong to this messed up nation, but what we need is a, a, a prison abolitionist ethic, an anti-capitalist ethic, an anti-racist ethic um, that really challenges the very premise of the state. Um, and in, the, in that chapter, I say, you know, what Jose is doing is offering a really radical coalitional gesture um, to queers, but beyond that, um, for what we might build together. Um, and I think that's what I'm trying to do in the book, is to look at the different ways that people in the real world are doing something that's not kind of inclusionary, not just let me belong, but like more interesting than that, um, at this intersection of queer migration politics. Uh, and um, I'm, I'm excited about it throughout the, the writing of the book. Uh, many of the folks have become friends of mine, and so it's a very personal book for me, um, and I hope I fairly recognize uh, represented them. None of them have yelled at me yet, um, but that may come. And uh, so, so that's kind of what um, my book is all about. And I'm really happy to present it here, as I said, because Tucson is very meaningful to me uh, and really is the place where this all got started. So um, thank you all very much for listening. If there are no other questions or comments, I just wanted to uh, wrap up the panel by again um, thanking our distinguished panelists and by kind of just synthesizing some of the things that they've said or how they kind of are interwoven. I'm, I'm particularly struck with um, the way Adela Licona's work reminds us to think about how unauthorized spaces can give us or validate alternative forms of epistemologies. And, and as I was thinking about that, I was thinking when 
when Karma Chavez was presenting about Jose and his statement, the system makes me illegal, a type of critical consciousness, right, about the way his body is marked, right, through social construction and the way that Ethna was talking about, right, that the, con the, the notion of undocumented or immigrant, right, is discursive in ways, right? Policy is made, language is constructed that will, will position certain bodies and view them in a certain particular way. So Jose may not have access to Foucault, right, but he still kind of of understands that there's a larger sort of system in place that marks him and reads them, or always already reads them in a particular space. So I want to thank uh, the wonderful work that my colleagues, uh, scholar activists are doing. And I really do believe a testament to scholarship is that that makes you want to get out and change the world. And this is what they're doing. So a round of applause for them. You've been listening to excerpts from the 2014 Tucson Festival of Books on 30 Minutes. 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Nuestras Raices, a program of the Pima County Library, sponsored the panel entitled Borderlands Productions, Queer Migrations, and Counter Movements. The panel explores how ongoing border policing shapes the experiences, struggles, and counter movements of migrants, people of color, and queer activists. Speakers included Adela C. Lacona, Assistant Professor and Director of the Rhetoric, Composition, and the Teaching of English Program at the University of Arizona, and Karma Chavez, Karma Chavez, Associate Professor of Rhetoric, Politics, and Culture at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. This has been part two of a two-part series. You can find this and all other 30 Minutes as a podcast on our blog at kxci.org. I'm Amanda Shager.